Good morning, good afternoon, good evening um, from all around the world. Welcome to our podcast, Hapa Kuli. This is your girl, Fatu, and I'm here with um, Murungi and another um, guest here today. Murungi? So, guys, thank you for joining us for the podcast once again. We're excited to have you. Uh, For those who have been following us, we've been doing a series on uh, coming to Japan. But this time we have decided to look for our brothers and sisters who have gone back home. So, I mean, those, those who have the courage to go back home, those that, <laughs> yeah. That's right, Fatu. You need a lot of courage to do that, you know. You do. <laughs> so we are joined with one of our brothers. He's going to introduce himself. He'll tell us a bit about himself, his name, home country, and, you know, something we'd like to remember him by. True. Okay. So my name is Kobi, Kobi Azu. I was christened Aaron, but I don't use it. So okay. my, my name on my passport is Aaron Azu. So if you're looking for me officially, you have to use Aaron. <laughs> I find it I find it a very alien name to me as an African and a Ghanaian for that matter. So it's a name I don't really use unless That's you're looking for me from the government office. Okay. <laughs> So if you, I mean, generally you find me as Kobi Azu on all my social media handles. Mm. All my colleagues know that my name is Kobi. Even my professor calls me Kobi. Mm. Um, everybody calls me Kobi. So was that so Kobi Kun or Kobi San? <laughs> uh, maybe it's a Kun thing that has grown into a son. <laughs> <laughs> because I find that many Japanese professors, you know, when they look at certain African guys, I think mm-hmm. they find it very hard to call them cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if you've okay. met Sati. Sati was never called cool in his lab. He's okay. a tall, big guy, and there's nothing cool about him. <laughs> oh, all right. I, yeah. well, I think, I, I think nobody ever called me cool. I think it was just maybe one person that we used to do stuff together, so... Yeah. She was comfortable calling me Kun after a while. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's Kobe and, well, I come from Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Accra, Ghana, although my hometown is in the eastern part, which is Krobo Dumase. You might not okay. know the names, but... No idea. Uh, I think I only know Takora. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah I, I kind of had some part of my upbringing in Takoradi as well. Mm. Um, there's Tema, which is the other port city close to Accra. Mm. There's Kumase, which is the second biggest city outside Accra. So, yes, um, I've, uh, I grew up in Ghana, basically. I had most of my education in Ghana before I started traveling outside Ghana. And um, between 2018, August, <laughs> and 2020. Uh, September, I lived in Japan. Okay. So I was at Kobe University between that period. Um, Prior to that, I studied at the University of Ghana for my undergrad, and again at the University of Ghana for a Master of Arts in Economics. So Mm. coming to Kobe was to do a Master of Science in Economics, which is a little addition to what I'd done, although most of it was just repetition for me. 
the, the, the dynamic part for me was the, the doing, the, the writing of the thesis, which, I, which was, uh, yeah, mm. you know, of course I learned a couple of new things in addition to what I knew already, but I got away with murder. That's what I want to say. Oh, okay. I was just repeating things that I, I, I possibly knew already. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I, I mean, I came to Japan on study leave from the central bank in Ghana. Oh, okay. And so I'm a central banker, and uh, <laughs> I involved myself in a lot of controversial things in Japan. I can imagine. African, we remember the you. African cause. <laughs> 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 fighting the African cause in Japan. So I got, I, I was noted as that uh, that African guy who has a lot to say. Mm. And I made a lot of friends, maybe a few enemies. So I returned to Ghana on 1st October 2020, and um, now I'm back at the central bank. So I'm talking to you at my lunchtime. I see, I see. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking off time to talk to us. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So at the beginning, Fati said, the courage of the people, Africans who have the courage to go back home, and you agreed. True. That was a very fast argument. <laughs> yes, you see, for the like I said, um, Japan was about the fourth or fifth time I was leaving Ghana to stay somewhere else for mm-hmm. some time and return. Mm. And the thing about people who travel from Africa most of the time is, mm-hmm. is to escape. Mm-hmm. You know, True. Most of the time it's an escape for people. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to get away and sometimes just get away for good mm-hmm. because <laughs> they, feel, they feel so deprived here. Yeah? There's no room for, for you to achieve your potential mm-hmm. or realize your dreams. Exactly. They're looking for the good life and, you know, when they get the opportunity, they just want to escape. And the things Mm. they go through to take advantage Uh of the opportunity is mind-blowing. People sell all their stuff to leave their homelands. And the idea is they don't care about never returning. Mm. They might miss their mom, miss their parents, miss their siblings, but they will deal with it. Even people leave their wives or husbands and get married again. Mm-hmm. So that is true. Documented marriage yeah. just to escape this place. Mm. So it's usually an escape for people such that to come back is it's like they go through a door of no return. You know, <laughs> at the Almina Castle in Ghana where the, the transatlantic slave shipped out a lot of people, mm. you had this door of no return. And that was for slavery people were forced from the motherland. Now, people just go, people are creating their own doors of no return from the motherland. Mm. So it takes a lot of courage and a lot of um, having something to fall back on to really say, I'm going to come back to the motherland. Mm. I remember when I left Canada for, to return to Ghana 10 years ago, Mm. a lot of people, even Ghanaians in Canada, told me I was stupid. Of course, oh, at that time, I wasn't coming back to anything. True. I was coming back to explore. This time is different because I'm coming back to work. Mm. But back then, 10 years ago, I was coming back to nothing. Mm. You see? So people told me I was stupid. And when I got here, 
my friends told me I was stupid for coming. <laughs> I guess. So I had a. I, I guess that's that's the that's the problem. Like that's why people are a little bit scared going back home because they exactly. feel like they're not they're going back to nothing. So. That's right. Mm. So I wasn't coming back to anything in in, <laughs> in particular. I was uh, just coming, coming because back. I felt it was not my place to stay out there. For and long. the thing is this: if we are the smartest ones, of course, uh-huh. I went. I didn't just go to hustle. I mm. went to school. I went to improve myself, improve my yes. thinking abilities. Yeah. So if we are the smartest ones who get to travel to go to school, <laughs> and we are not going to come back to the motherland, but rather run away. Then mm-hmm. when we come back to the motherland and we complain, what exactly are we complaining about? When we come back and the roads are not fixed mm. and the power is not on and the taps won't have water running through them. We left the dumb ones, excuse me to say, we left the <laughs> relatively dumb ones behind. So what exactly can they fix? We the same I mean... ones are, are working overtime in Europe, in the US, in Japan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and paying taxes there. Mm-hmm. And they are using them to, to develop their countries. Mm-hmm. When we come back home, we've not paid any taxes, we've mm-hmm. not contributed to any development, and we think we have a right to complain. No. Well, some would argue so, that uh, there's no opportunity. So I've done my, my studies, I have put in a lot of work, time, <laughs> tears, bones, and blood, but I'm coming back and no one is going to even give me I don't know, one meter square to step on to, you know, yeah. champion the cause that I really want. In your case, you had something to go back to. But uh-huh, uh-huh. lots of people are like... Oh, like man. I said, that was this time. Mm. Ten years ago, I had nothing that I was going back to. How did you I was go just about coming that? back with my head. Just mm. my head. <laughs> just my head. I was just coming, you know. I was uh-huh. just coming with the belief that if I stay there and I do the things I was going to do, if I come back and I do the same things, mm-hmm. I was going to find a breakthrough at one point in time. I knew it wasn't going to be a smooth ride. Mm. I knew it was going to be a bumpy road. Mm-hmm. But I, I said to myself that instead of staying in, your, uh, in Canada, mm. and, and of course I was going to be a fugitive because I was going yeah. to overstay my overstay. visa, <laughs> go uh-huh. outside my regular, yeah. you know, the regulations. So I was going to be a fugitive. Mm. Of course, nobody was going to come after you, but you become a criminal, right? So instead of, because, and because I was going to be undocumented, I had to do yeah. menial stuff. And I already had a degree then, had gone on to just do some, study some research work, expand my thinking capabilities. Mm. So I thought, I could still find something to do. It wouldn't be something big right from scratch. Yeah. And yeah. I could always find something to do to to contribute back to the motherland. And also to I knew it was gonna it was going to blow up eventually. So I had to tell myself I need to get that patience. Mm-hmm. Because there is no get rich quick anywhere. And that's one of the problems. That is true. People I want see. to be people want to be, you know, wealthy. wealthy. <laughs> All of a sudden, somebody has lived abroad for 10 years. They come back home. You go for one year and you want to do things they are doing. It's not possible. So I I made myself understand that if I come back and I spend 10 years, I could achieve as much as staying over there for Mm -hmm. 10 years. 
Of course, it might not be the same in dollar terms. But mm. I can tell you that even now, my quality of life in Accra now, it's, it's much higher than when I was in Japan just a couple of months ago. Although you can right. see that I'm a comfortable person in Japan, mm-hmm. my quality of life in Ghana is, is higher. My standard of life in Ghana is higher than my standard of life in Japan. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I guess you're one of the strong ones, the, the ambitious ones. Um, because I know some people that went back home that had PhD and it was very hard for them. No one will hire them because they feel like they were overqualified. And mm-hmm. I know this one person, he was also a strong person. So he started his own business. Um, That's right. And he, yeah, he, I think the word is patience. Um, what he said is people having patience to um, mm. start something. Yeah. Yes. So even if it's something you're going to start on your own, mm-hmm. if you put in the work, you see how we, you see, we work differently when we are abroad. People work, people work three to four jobs in a day, yes. in 24 hours. I don't know how they do it. Because I've never done it before. But we have a lot of Africans who do that. And they wouldn't yes, do that sir. back home. Because they'll say that there are no jobs, you know. There's no <laughs> three to four jobs you're going to work at. Yes. But if you find something to do and it puts in the same levels of energy, you, it, will, it will produce results. It might, you see, the thing about... Like I said, people want to make the money overnight. Of course, if you if you're working in McDonald's in Japan, uh-huh. you're gonna earn more than you're making in McDonald's in 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 Kenya or in Uganda or yeah. you're gonna have more in dollar terms. Uh-huh. Your life might be more comfortable. Uh-huh. But the thing is, if you do it here, you can still earn enough. Put yourself maybe back into school, upgrade, 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 and the results will come. People don't have that patience. Well, I'd also like to argue that it's more, as you said, you left Ghana to, you know, have a certain mind shift. So I will argue that many people, mm-hmm. even if you stay at home, you really can't have that mind shift. There are very few special people who stay back home and somehow their mind shifts. Many of the people I know who have been successful in business, in entrepreneurship, in, you know, all these things, they have had an escape. Mm-hmm. And it is after that escape that they've gone back home and, you know, done something for themselves. So uh, I will say the environment may not favor everyone to have a mind shift, therefore more exposure and all these things. And to some extent, I would agree that it's true we have to consider going back home and putting the skills that we have to use. But when it comes to things like, you know, policies and all these things, you know, people do the math and, you know, I mean, it's just not worth it, you know. And sometimes we have the black debt, you know, having to pull everyone else in your family towards a certain Mm -hmm. level so that everyone is comfortable. So uh-huh. you decide, now I'm getting this amount of money here. I am helping my siblings, my parents. I don't know who else in the clan. Uh-huh. But when I go back, it's going to take me much longer to just even get to the standard I'm at. And by that time, there'll be like so many people who have fallen off the wagon that you started creating. So now what? I, I get it's, it's all about fear, you know. 
I must tell you, when I was leaving Ghana the first time, 10 plus years ago, mm. I told my friends I'll be back in 10 years. <laughs> so this was, this was, this time was supposed to be my actual return mm. to Ghana. You know, this was when I was going to come back to Ghana the first time. From Canada. So it wasn't like I left and I said, okay, I'm going to just be there for a year and come back. No, or a couple uh. of months. I had the, I also had the escape mindset. Okay. Let's get out of here. Let's make it. And then let's come back. If we will come back. The idea was to get married to some white Canadian or some African. It was still the escape thing. So it wasn't I wasn't I wasn't it wasn't anything different about me. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, I realized this place is not for us. Much as we want to stay here in these mm-hmm. places, in Canada, yeah. in the US, in Japan. These places are not for us. These places are not our homes. This, when we, we, despite all the effort, all the hard work we put in, all the discipline, mm. you are still an outsider. That is so it took me just a couple that, of months to readjust yeah. my mindset. Of course, I, I, I knew my term was going to expire, mm. and then I, I would either have to come back home. But the idea was to run away, just like everybody. I dumped the consequences. I was going to, you know, work through the, you know, informal economy and then find my way back up eventually and get some, you know, go to school, get some, get something to do, some jobs. Uh-huh. Of course, I, I, it, was, it, was, it was going to be possible. I worked at Rogers Television. Mm-hmm. I worked at Youth Quest Central. I, I had stuff to do, but... Maybe I was too proud. Yeah, so I started finding certain things annoying. You know, nothing you do is right. Nothing okay. you do is enough. Nothing you do is really appreciated as you haven't done it. Somebody always wants to, you know, Criticize. send your mind back to where you're coming from and thinking, no, it couldn't have been you. Or, no. Somebody asked me, did you have white teachers in Ghana? I'm like, why? Uh, he, the wow. person couldn't understand why I could speak English fluently. Wow. I said, no, I never had English teachers. I had never had white teachers. White My teacher. teachers were Africans. Mm. You know, there are certain things that they just can't wrap their heads around. They always have this stereotype of living on trees or in mud huts. And, and so that's how they lamp and we're walking around naked, barefoot. <laughs> that's all the thing. That's how they see you. Mm. And so at a point, it was irritating for me. Uh-huh. And I said, I was going to go back. Because mm. we don't uh, live on trees. We don't walk, I don't walk barefooted in Accra. I, so I said I was going to go back. So of all those countries, brother, of all those escapes you did, why Japan? Why did you finally decide this time around, let me, let me go to Japan? <laughs> because I feel like, you know, for North America and Europe is a no-brainer for many Africans, especially if you speak English. But yeah. I mean, all the way to the other side of the world, why? Okay, so when I did my first master program in Ghana, my policy class was um, centered on, okay, my policy professor centered his policy class on the success stories of East Asian countries mm. and tried to inspire us as Africans to 
to stop following the Bretton Woods approach. The Bretton Woods is the IMF and the World Bank. Yeah. Because, I think I already like your teacher. <laughs> yes, because he, he, he impressed upon us that these Bretton Woods guys have never really developed any country. Irrespective of how much donor funds and how much how many mm-hmm. projects they've sent, I mean, how much relief they sent to these countries. None of the countries, either in Africa or Latin America, mm-hmm. has been developed. They are all developing or still underdeveloped. Because true. they come in and their budgets to manage the funds, you know, the management, the administration of whatever they are doing, sucks out about 90% of the funds they are bringing. Mm-hmm. So they just come to pay themselves. But he, he projected the East Asian success stories starting with Japan, then Singapore, then South Korea. Mm-hmm. So I picked this interest in wanting to see what happens in East Asia. Luckily for me, I finished that program in 2016, mm-hmm. and my boss sent me on a program to Singapore in 2017. Wow. Okay. So, when I, so I went to Singapore on my boss's ticket in 2017, and I saw the thing I had studied in class with my own two eyes, and I was so I picked the interest in the whole East Asian thing. Of course, I spent just a week there, and I returned to Ghana. So I was at work. I knew about some program at work where the Japanese government wants to work with people in public policy space, and okay. then they bring you to Japan. So is that Abe? The one that is that the no, Abe this program? Is JDS. This is the JDS. JDS. Okay. So Japanese Development Service Program. That is purely mm-hmm. for people with governments, mm-hmm. public yeah. sector workers, civil servants. They are the only people who come on JDS programs. Mm-hmm. So, and I think even in Africa, it's only Ghana that's on the on the civil service program. Okay. So JDS in in Africa, it's only Ghana on the program. It's more for the the East Asian countries like Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar. Uh-huh. Okay. Bangladesh. So in Africa, it's only Ghana on that program. I, I don't have the reason for it, although I can assume, but for now, it's only What's Ghana the assumption? <laughs> Why only Ghana? There are some, well, I think the track record after their pilot shows that the Ghanaians are more willing to come back home. Okay. Oh, hmm. Hmm. I see. With other people, sometimes they struggle, especially with our noisy neighbors. <laughs> if we you don't bring Jollof first to this discussion. Our noisy neighbors always, you know, come up, come with some dynamics as to why they shouldn't be coming back home and all that. So oh. I think they found the Ghanaians quite, you know, easier to work with. Okay. And so JDS is, for now, it's only a Ghanaian program. Mm. So this advertisement came again at work. And I'd been to Singapore, I'd done the study, the policy thing. So I, I, I applied for it. And I wanted to take the opportunity to actually do the whole thing again, you know. Mm. So I, I applied, I went through the process, wrote some exam, did a couple of interviews. I'm sure you know how the Japanese process is. So yeah. then I was so, long. so that's right. So then I got the study leave from work because uh, the advertisement was from the workplace, so it was very oh. easy to get them to send me off. Of course, I knew I'll be repeating most of the things I've studied, but I wanted the, I wanted to, to put the, I wanted to put the practice to the theory. Mm. I wanted to see certain things for myself. 
And it was good for me that way because I spent very, a very minimal time studying in Japan. Mm. I actually spent a lot of time engaging, engaging oh, Japanese right. companies, engaging JICA, engaging Japanese people, you know, getting into their heads, into their culture, into the way they really, how they, how they managed to do all that. So that is what I mm. spent time doing. In Japan. How did you like That's it? Right. Like being in Japan, how did you like it? It's a whole bouquet. It's, it's a whole bouquet. <laughs> <laughs> what are the yeah. things you like and what are the things you don't like about Japan? Now is that you? About the customer service is great. The customer service is great. The discipline okay. is great. The, the, the decency towards each other, you know, civility mm. towards each other yeah. is great. The, the work ethic is great. But of course, oh, you and I know that a lot of the things are, are plastic. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of the things, but of course, it gets a system working. So outside all that, you cannot build real relationships with people. It's, it's difficult oh. to build real relationships with people. For them, it's just for the business and that's it. So the True. person is overly nice all over you at the, <laughs> at the point of service, even gives you the call card. And you send a message and it's mute. You, know, <laughs> you nothing. It's it's difficult to nothing get anything deep. going afterwards. Nothing That's right. Deep. So everything is everything is on the surface. The and then dealing with Japan administratively can also be a little. It can be quite um, difficult. Yes. I mean, when you get to Japan the first time, you have to go to the ward office. Everything yes. is in Japanese. Everybody. A lot of paperwork. Mm. A lot of paperwork, and then mm. you have to bring your friend who speaks Japanese. I mean, yes. what kind of which institution <laughs> asks you to bring a friend? I mean, we in Japan they speak Japanese. <sighs> yeah, yes, I agree. The world has moved on. Of course, they are complaining about their aged population and how they are stuck in the past and all that. But the real things they have to do to move the economy are not being done. Of course, Sugar, Sugar Sensei has promised to whip them up in a different <laughs> direction. So we want to see what Sugar Sensei will bring, will bring on board. But with Abenomics, it was just about recycling the old things, you know, uh, and yeah, just put a few touches here and there. And so it wasn't really working for them. As an economist, I know it wasn't working for them. So, right, so dealing with Japan administratively was a little difficult. Mm -hmm. Even when I had to leave Japan, you, oh. know, you have to empty your room, you have to yeah. go to the ward yeah, office, yeah. You have to do this. It's just, it's just too much. Cancel this, cancel the other. Yeah. It's, but it's, but I, it's feel like it, I feel like these are things that make Japan unique um, with their administrative work, being so organized with things, making sure that things are, are according to certain procedures. So... Like, this is something unique about Japan that I like, actually, so, yeah. It is. It makes Japan what it is, but it also stores a lot of things. And it's, you know, you're, the, the, this is a country that is trying to attract foreigns for yes. their own benefit, for their own yeah. development purposes. Mm -hmm. So it is not, it is, it is not for you to have a difficult system if your intention is to attract me. Mm -hmm. It is in your benefit to make your systems, uh, to vary your systems, 
so that if you want to do pure Japanese with the Japanese, you go ahead and do it. But you have to, if you have to deal with foreigners, you should have a different approach, which is yeah. more flexible. But okay. I think now the foreigners, the for foreigners that... are attracted are now leaving. <laughs> but for that aspect, with COVID, yeah. with that aspect, with the like... COVID, they realize that what they are doing is just a sham. But with that aspect, I'd like to sort of, you know, defer from that point and say that they have really tried to, you know, get people, English-speaking people, you know. I mean, it's been generations of just speaking Japanese, you know. It's not good. We're not going to wake up one morning and they flip that. But you see, at city halls, at schools, they've tried to get people who speak English, people who speak uh. French, to try and, you know, as much as the writing is still in Japanese, but they try to get, you know, to help you, uh, your life to make it easier when you go to hospitals, when you go to, you know, make a SIM card and all these things. And some of the basic, basic things, they even have a list of uh, uh, doctors who speak English. So as much as they are not where we <laughs> foreigners would be very comfortable, I feel that they've done a lot of work. Because, I mean, when did this country finally, you know, open up? Not more than 15 years ago. So overhauling what they've known for, for centuries would be a bit hard. You see, what you say is true. They've done a lot of work. But like I said, when I came to Japan, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't about the school. Mm. It was about getting into their heads. So I wouldn't say I got, I wouldn't say I got so deep into their heads, but the levels in which I got to gave me a good appreciation of what we're all about. Okay. Now the younger ones don't speak any English at all, which is interesting. The older ones at the, at the advent of the development of Japan after the war, yes. when they wanted to use global trades to develop, that generation speaks English. And they speak good English. Mm, I have yes. I've met old Japanese Oji-sans who speak British English, yes. American English, and they oh. speak it fluently. So if if the plan is to get you mm -hmm. to really appreciate foreign service in Japan, mm -hmm. they could have done it. So what they did was intentional. Mm -hmm. Of course, now they're adjusting. But if they wanted to do do it the way you approach your own development. Because now you are giving me an English speaker who speaks English back to front. Mm -hmm. So you have people, once upon a time, you were able to train people who can speak fluent British English. Mm -hmm. Now I need Japanese service. And they give me somebody who says, now we will go. <laughs> Ima ikimasu. <laughs> now we will start. Ima ikimasho. You know, it's so it's you are doing. I you I can get into their heads. The whole idea is not for you to feel so comfortable there. Ah, I see, I see. 